You're listening to Dance Matters podcast series created for the Interchange Festival and commissioned by Delving into Dance and Critical Path. In it, I speak to a variety of people who work with or are interested in dance. I begin each conversation asking them what are the first three words that come to their mind when they think about dance? Fluid, nature or natural, and Pina Bausch. From there, we freestyle into a plethora of themes that touch upon the relationship between dance and care for the environment. We speak about connection between dance and intuition. We dream about a world where everyone would dance, a world without judgment and with a greater sense of community. We look at the connection between dance and uncertainty and how dance could teach us to embrace the natural flow of life. And amongst all this talk about movement, we also consider the importance of stillness and silence, both in dance and in life. In the episode you're about to listen, you will hear from theatrical visual artist Michelle Saint-Anne, who is the artistic director of the Living Room Theatre and deputy director of the Sydney Environment Institute. For Michelle, Dances are connection back to nature. As she says, the more we stunt this basic need, the more robotic, analytical and critical we become, and we remain in our paths because we no longer know what it is like to move. This podcast was recorded on the Gadigal land of Eora Nation traditional custodians of the land on which we live, work and dance and we pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. What three words come to your mind when you think about dance? Fluid, nature or natural, and Pina Bausch. Why Pina Bausch? She, to me, represents dance and movement, art and insight um, and wit integrity and to me that's what dance is to me and she just opened up the whole world for me when because I'm not a dancer and I'm not a choreographer she allowed me this access into the the dance language in a way that I don't think any other has um, and has become so influential in my own work in the way that I compose my narratives within the landscapes that I work in. 
when you speak about composing, you're actually speaking about composing theatre. Correct. Oh yes, I should make that. Yeah, I should clarify that. Yeah, so not composing music, but the way that I would construct a scene. I'm constantly thinking compositionally about work. In your rehearsal processes with your performers, is there an element of dance and purely movement without words when you rehearse? I think even when that goes into production. <laughs> so I have very little language and I think the older I'm getting, I have a less need to speak um, in my work. And that's because I've become so comfortable with allowing an object and the way it sits in space to speak. It has its own language, it's got its own motivations, it's got its own representation to my audience. So often you, um, people will struggle with my work. That's a kind of a, a problem for me because I probably need to give them some way of receiving it because I, I think art practice generally is more prescribed and so we're not learning how to receive work. We're just told, you sit here, you listen, here's some language, this is how you make meaning. And I think the more the world shifts and hurts and goes into trauma, the more we need to be able to see and feel rather than hear language, which is why I love working with dancers, because they're very comfortable in that space. And even when I work with actors, they all have a physical background. You often work within mm. multisensory practice, and by what I observed talking to you a few times and seeing some of your works is that you're not as much interested in activating the cerebral but mm. corporeal yeah. and that you want to speak to body and yeah. that you want our bodies to feel things rather than think things. And lots of your works, majority of them, as far as I know, maybe all of them, are addressing climate change and environmental urgency. And you find that speaking to the body rather than brain is actually a way to pass the message in mm. a more deeper way, more meaningful way. Yeah, so my body of work has actually been around violence in the home. That was probably been 15 years of my practice. And it was only while working here at Sydney Environment Institute that I was just listening to all these lectures. It was lectures and reading papers. And... There was some really beautiful thinking that wouldn't always motivate people to become involved or become interested. So I took that those sorts of think that kind of thinking and went, well, what does how does this represent or present itself in bodies? So it's again trauma. So my work was in violence in the home, trauma. Now I'm looking at violence in landscapes and environments, trauma again. So they're not dissimilar in any way and it was just in, and it's true, I, I think it's the way that you beautifully articulate that it's, I, I'm more interested in speaking to bodies because I think when people can feel, then they're motivated, they're compelled to do something. Otherwise it just becomes an intellectual exercise and I don't think that's ever, ever motivated people to actually make a change or shift. Although you work with trauma, you approach it in a beautiful way. There is beauty in your works. Mm. What role does beauty play in oh, your practice? It's, it's imperative. Beauty um, alleviates pain. It allows us to see the ugly. 
with only just seeing the ugly, with only ever seeing the crass part of life, then we have no context. We have no sense of a better world, of possibilities. And I think that's really important. I also think that um, I'm really interested in that dynamic and that dichotomy of beauty and suffering. Why? I don't know. And and I think back in the day when I studied as an actor, my method teacher took us through this exercise about internal and external clocks. And at that time I was studying um, Streetcar Named Desire and Blanche, who's really beautiful on the outside and then in such trauma on the inside. And to me it wasn't, you know, this exercise is about the slow external clock and the fast internal clock. But to me, the way I kind of accessed that was the beauty on the outside and the trauma on the inside. So I guess that's where it's always come from. And when when I trace it back and I reflect on that, I always go back to my my moment of playing Blanche. There is this beautiful thing that Kathleen Mary Higgins wrote in 1996 in relation to beauty. Essays titled Whatever Happened to Beauty, a response to Danto. And it was in response to many artworks at the time that were shying away from beauty into conceptualism and dryness and even ugliness. And she wrote, beauty typically urges renewed love of life. Beauty provides the comforting background against which one can think the uncomfortable. Mm. Beauty assures us that something real is lovable. With that awareness, we are capable of the courage to face what is not. Yeah, there you go. I really do think that's um, a problem in the way that climate change is communicated into that cerebral facts, data, and what art can do, it absorbs that and turns it into something that is beautiful because art on so many levels is is really beautiful. Even if it's very masculine and angular, there's still moments of it where you just are drawn into its incredible, excruciating beauty, Mm -hmm. and I find that exciting. Pina Bausch is a good example of that as well. Beauty combined with profound sadness, I feel. Yes, I know. I, you know, it's a pity. I've always wanted, you know, when I was young and wanted to meet her. I just wanted to know, not that I wanted to talk to her, but I would just like to be in a room with her just to see what she's like on a quiet moment um, for that because there is, there is that incredible... Um, sadness and I think and and maybe that's it I think maybe I'm I'm actually intrinsically sad because my work is so dark but I think that's actually the realness of me and then it's the other stuff that gets presented over the top of it and I think that's what I'm interested in about beauty is how it peels away but it's so important for us and it's so important in a time of crisis to be able to access or see beauty It's interesting what you said about wanting to be in the space with someone without necessarily talking (laughs) because it's one of the things that I think of when I think about dance, of sharing the space with other bodies in movement. What role does dance play in your life? Well, I'm a secret lounge room dancer 
And to me, dance on that level, um, on an everyday level and a human level, is about joy, just unadulterated joy. That's all it is to me. Um, and we just don't do enough of it. And the older you get, the less you dance, right? So, and I'll keep talking about my age because I turned 50 this year and it's such, it's such a momentous moment, even though you think, ah, you know, it's nothing, but it is psychologically. And so thinking about what I was like when I was 20 and I was always going to see live music um, in the pubs because we had a live music scene then. And so you're constantly moving, your body's always moving, but now you just don't do that as an older person. It's always about quiet as well, you know, dining or things like that. And so your body moves in a different way. So to me, dance now represents that freedom and that youthfulness and joy. Mm. On the other hand, artistically, it's what I enjoy viewing. So it's, it's what I enjoy going to see. I, I see more dance than I do theatre, if I actually ever see theatre, um, mainly dance. And... It's because of its beauty and its compositions. I just love watching it. Mm. I think being almost inside it, really, even though you might be seeing it on a prostate, is something about that literally draws you inside the work. Mm. What do you think stops some people from dancing? <sighs> This idea that it's got to look good. This idea that you have to have rhythm, whatever that rhythm is, because it's so archaic about what rhythm is, right? So it's so white about what rhythm is, keeping time. Um, that stops people. Body image obviously stops people, I think. Um, and it is because we think that dance is about something to be done, to be of beauty, as opposed to joy, as opposed to self-expression and um, a releasing of an energy. I think that stops it. Have you ever experienced stillness when you dance? Oh, uh, well, yes. It, oh, in, okay, so when I do it at home, that's usually because I'm dancing with the music and the music is dancing for me, so I have that sense of being still for it so that you can feel it I love that sense of it and I know that um, the very first time I heard Lawrence English live it was part of a bird piece at the Art Gallery of New South Wales I was just sitting there listening to this music coming out from massive speakers and I know my body was moving even though it was so still and I just remember feeling like I was dancing, like not moving or being physically affected. I felt like I was dancing. I was so moved that at one point I actually wanted to go up to the speakers and actually hold on to the speakers because it was so extraordinary, such an extraordinary feeling. Mm. And why is to describe that feeling as dance more adequate than describing it as pure stillness? Because the... You're being moved by something that's inside you, which is which is what I think dancing at home does for you. It's that release and that 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 the intimacy that the inside of your body has to the exterior walls of your body. 
to propel it to move, which is that whole Kylie Minogue factor, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, that in that case, when I was at the art gallery, and you could just imagine what it would be like, like the crowd, very sophisticated. And and here I was, like this little minion, <laughs> wanting to explode because I was so... The insides of me had the motivation to move. I could feel it move. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was with my sophisticated lot, so you just don't move. Right. You know, you might close your head and might nod, but the, 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 I was prepared to do much more than that, which is why I think it was dance. Mm. What role does stillness play in your life in general? I'm not good at being still. I'm not good at being um, still in my mind. My mind's very active because I've always got the constant thing of dream versus reality. So um, I trained myself very at a very young age to be able to do th- both things simultaneously. So I could have a conversation in my mind with somebody who I'd concocted in my mind as well as having a conversation with somebody in in real life. And I remember it being such a skill when I was having really boring conversations. (laughs) I could then actually retreat and be in another world. So intellectually, I'm not good at being still. And it's really bad for me because if I'm in a room, in a meeting, in a day job, I can only stay in meetings for 40 minutes and then I have to excuse myself because I can't do it. My intellectual panic. Mm. So stillness in my life presents a a moment of panic, right? So even in cars, if I'm stuck in traffic and I can't go anywhere, I'm in a panic. So I've got a very fast inner clock. Mm. Perhaps that's because in those moments you're actually not feeling still. Those moments don't make you feel comfortable. Yes. And there is oppressing stillness but everything inside you is actually um, yes aggravated in some way so I don't know what that inner stillness is and I don't think I, I have ever known it have you experienced it when you are in a room with your performers and you're developing a piece and you just feel like you're completely present maybe maybe the sense of complete oh, presence presence yeah, presence to me is not stillness because you're so hyper-aware, right? As a performer, you're hyper-aware because you're aware of where the audience may be. You're aware about where the light is, where the sound's coming from, where are the performers in, you know, what compositionally to you, spatially to you. So that's beautiful. And I remember when I used to do lots of improvisation, I would always be the most still person on stage, but it was also when I was most active. And when you're active in an improvisation, that's probably when you're the most still. There is this beautiful thing said by Akram Khan. He says, the only time I'm still is when I dance. Mm -hmm. So yes, so I guess that he would be speaking from the point of view that I was speaking to that sense of, when you're waiting and compositionally you're aware of where you are and you're present. So he's really is thinking about that moment when he's present. And isn't it just a gem when that happens? Mm. It's what we all strive for, that complete abandonment of all of that to find stillness. Mm. If that's what he describes as stillness. Yeah. I believe when I asked you for the three words that come to your mind about dance, you said nature? Nature. Why nature? 
Um, because it seems like such a basic need. So, and, and that's where we become one with nature. That's our connection back to nature. When we dance? When we dance. Yeah, because it's so primal. It's, you know, animalistic in a sense. It's not a derogative term. It's actually a heightening term, you know, to become one with the world, that nature, the natural. And, and this is, goes back to the image. The more we stunt this imagination and our sensories, the more we, more we become robotic and analytical and critical and we remain in our paths and in our little cliques because we no longer know what it's like to move. I mean, even look at family homes. There's no communal spaces in family homes. Everyone's got their own bathroom, everyone's got their own TV. Nobody's having to make allowances for who's going to use the bathroom. I think that that's really problematic if we want to see communities come together and communities thrive. Imagine the world where everyone would dance. There would be no person who would feel that they can't dance. Mm. And maybe even the days would start with a dance. Just like they start with the brushing of your feet and washing your face and having a shower. What would that world look like? I think it would be a happier world. I absolutely think it would be a happier world because you can't help it. It's like singing. You know, the endorphins just go nuts. And I think people would grow older more gracefully because we'd be, you know, our joints would be moving. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, health will be a healthier nation, both in our well-being and physical being, and I think in our cultural being. Mm. If only I could do that at work, start the day with a dance fest as opposed to a coffee run. I wonder how that would go down. Like a lead balloon, I would think. But it would be great to try. There is no reason why not to. That's right. I've got my little dungeon room there. We could have a silent disco. Yeah, maybe blindfolded as well. Because that's what <laughs> people are scared of being seen. Mm. Feeling that they are looking silly or something. Yeah. Which is another thing. That in that world, there would be... It would be a world without judgment. Or feeling judged. Yes, but it would be a feeling without being, a feeling not being judged. I think we can't help it, we're human beings and we're always going to judge. We will take interest. We will mm. look at things and take interest and, but maybe not judge. I think judging is a very, we will be curious. A friend yes. of mine said to me, and it's That's one nice. of the most beautiful things I've ever heard, replace judgment with curiosity. Yes, that's a good one. That's a beautiful one. Because then your world opens up. Yeah. Have you ever tried dancing in silence? Oh, yes, at BCA. <laughs> I think we had an Israeli teacher that came out. I can't remember. I think he was Israeli. And, um, yeah, and he did that. It's... It's really difficult. 
because it doesn't give you that comfort layer and you're doing it in front of your colleagues, you know. It's all, all kind of really weird. I can't remember why he made us do that or why that was one of his exercises. I do remember at one point he had us lying down as in, in meditation before we did the silent dancing. So maybe it was about stillness and maybe it was just about building up that sense of movement, what it is to move, is to know not to move, possibly. But I remember crying at that point. I remember lying on the ground and crying because um, I found it so traumatic to be still and quiet and and in a year where you're constantly overloaded. um, It was my post-grad and I was constantly overloaded. I just come out of classes in total panic because I was so overstimulated. So I do remember that quite well. And then having to, um, you know, roll up just to come to standing and then um, him getting us to dance without music and going, this is just, I found it really hard. Is it in some way similar to making theatre without language? <gasps> Possibly, and this is maybe why I have so many actors who go, oh, God, what are you doing? Um, Possibly. But now, now, you know, I've got to think about that because to dance without music, is it the same as making theatre without language? Could be, I suppose. I guess... Yes, it, it, it's the support, so language supports theatre and music supports dance. Throw me a curveball, and maybe this is why I need to rebrand ERA and make it living room dance theatre or something, or theatre without language or something <laughs> Theatre without language, get over it. <laughs> yeah, it's when language fails us. Mm. And I'm seeking more and more silence in my life personally. We had this beautiful moment at Woodford Folk Festival where mm-hmm. I just went for New Year's. 30 minutes before the New Year, there was three minutes of silence. And it's something that I craved for, for so long, just for the world to stop for a second and reset, like computers reset. Just so powerful mm. for everyone who is just screaming and buying things and to just respect silence and hold silence. There's just so much clutter mm. and so much of it is connected to words. Yeah. Um, when you just said that, it just reminded me, you know, we're coming to stillness after all of this noise. I'm always fascinated by the sound hole. I don't know what the technical term is, but you know when it's this barrage of sound and then it just drops out and then you feel like you fall forward. I love that feeling. Like a void. Like a void. Why do you love it? Because you knew something was there, even though it's not present, it's not a physical thing. It's the vibration of it. I just find it intoxicating. Lawrence English does that perfectly in some of his works. Um, I went to hear him at another concert and I had that experience and I've ever since tried to replicate it in all sorts of performances that I've had, but I'm just fascinated by it. But interestingly enough, I think it works best when the musician's in the space as opposed to a recording of it. 
that's that's what I find quite interesting. So the physical body that actually, even though he's just pressing on buttons, not playing anything, he's pressing on buttons, it's that energy and that connection to that that then communicates out and then when it's retracted or when it drops out, that void, that stillness, that silence, it's intoxicating. Mm. And I think that's my moments when I feel I'm present because I'm not having to do anything. I'm just existing. Mm. Why does dance matter now? Oh, anything that makes us present, anything that makes us feel, like physically feel, which is what dance does, and anything that suggests beauty is really important. All of those things make us human. Anyone can dance, you know, anyone can do it. And there's all the artistic frameworks and I'm not taking, I'm not buying into that now. I think just as a, as a society, for us to be able to do that, it's imperative a time when there is no joy and there is no beauty that we see as a, as a human race, right? And even when you see people dance in the supermarket, you know, people, and then also they start moving because they like the song that they make, you know, and you can't help it. Like you're doing it now, you're smiling, just thinking about what that image is. You can't help it. I saw a beautiful clip of a fireman from one of the affected areas in New South Wales, I think, having a little dance break in the middle of the oh, forest. Oh. And it made me think that sometimes we need a break in order to keep going. Because there is lots of guilt associated now with having a good time mm. in the time when there is crisis and pain. But again, speaking about Woodford, just going there for a few days and extracting myself from the constant news mm. and lots of depression, anxiety, which is all justified, of course. But it gave me strength rather than mm. took it. Yeah. And it reminded me of the good that we are capable of. And as you say, of our beauty. So it didn't feel selfish, it felt necessary to dance as a way to detox, to reset. Yeah, it's beautiful. Thank you for listening to Dance Matters podcast series, produced for the Interchange Festival and commissioned by Delving into Dance and Critical Path. This podcast was recorded and edited by Ira Ferris with music and production support of Trevor Brown. For other eight episodes in this series, see Dance Matters playlist on Artemis Project SoundCloud and you can also listen via iTunes. <laughs>